You're listening to the Staff Study Podcast, a ministry of Bible Baptist Church in Mount Orb, Ohio. We hope this podcast will encourage you to study the Word of God and to grow in Christ. Welcome to the Staff Study Podcast. We want to thank you for tuning in. We're so glad that you've chosen to do so, and we're going to start in on Romans chapter 6 today. But before we do, I want to remind you all to like, share, subscribe, comment, review, help us to reach others. We are so glad that you have been helping us in that manner, and uh, we just want to encourage you to continue to, to do so. And like I said, we're going to start in on Romans chapter 6, and really... Chapter 6 ties in with chapter 5. I mean, they go together. The chapter divisions are not uh, inspired. The chapter divisions are added later, and they really are tied together. It's all one letter. It's the epistle to the Romans. You know, it's one one letter. I don't think you could get the right context without going back to at least verse uh, 20 or so in chapter 5 to tie it together and, and get the right context. So um, I thought maybe we could start by starting in Romans 5.20 and reading uh, down through maybe 6.2 or something, if one of you guys would like to start us off. Sure, yeah. Let's look in chapter 5, verse 20, and it says there, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound, that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? So like you said, Rob, the the question he asked there really, it it comes off of the end of chapter 5. And based on all of that in chapter 5, Grace abounds more. God gives us more grace, right? Grace mm-hmm. abounds more than than our sin abounded when we saw the law showing us our sinful uh, nature and our sin uh, by choice. And grace abounded a lot more than that sin did. But is that an excuse to sin is the question. We get that question a lot today in mm-hmm. a, I think... Really, this is kind of the same question we get a lot in witnessing encounters in a roundabout way is, um, and maybe in talking with other Christians too, well, if you believe in, let's say, once saved, always saved, Mm -hmm. um, a lot of times the argument is, well, that's just a license to sin, right? Right. We hear that a lot, and, um, and then the question here is kind of that same question, so if grace abounds a lot more than sin, and really the more that the law showed our sin, just that much more um, God gives us grace through Jesus Christ by, by salvation. So does that mean that we just continue in sin so that grace just continues to abound that much more? And, of course, the answer is no, right? God forbid, actually, is what he says. Mm-hmm. I think that there's a lot of confusion that comes, and it's really just their understanding of the concept of sin and grace. You know, when people have this attitude that, well, because um, because of God's grace, I can do whatever I want, that's a misrepresentation and misunderstanding of what the definition is. But also, how many times have we heard people say, well, once they've gotten saved, 
after a period of sanctification and, you know, living for the Lord, they attain a state where they don't sin no more. Mm -hmm. And so he's really, when he's asking this question, it's almost like he's trying to bring out um, the concept in a way that it's like where there's some that are believing that because grace is present, that that's a license to live any way that you want. That because of the grace of God, you don't have to be cautious about sin, that you can do whatever you want. And because of grace, that grace is always going to be forgiving. So why try to live, you know, a filtered life or live a life that's pleasing to God and abstain from sin? But then there's others that are almost at the opinion that because of the law of God is present and there that you're never going to be free from the law. Yeah. Um, you know, I find it interesting. A lot of times, you know, Dominic alluded to the once saved, always saved. And we are um, unapologetically eternal security believers. We believe in eternal security. Once, If you're saved, you are saved. We're not kept by our own power. We're kept by his power. Um, we believe that wholeheartedly. Um, and they, a lot of times when somebody is an opponent to that uh, belief, they'll look at this verse and they'll say, well, look right there. And I'll say, yeah, I know. I agree with that verse. <laughs> you know, we, we're not in disagreement with the Bible on anything. The, just like you said, Jason, we should not continue in sin that grace may abound. Um, you know, and that's what Paul was saying here. We should want to abstain from sin because we're saved. But when we do sin and we're going to, grace will abound. Mm-hmm. Grace is sufficient for right. that sin. Right. We still want to abstain from it, but God's grace is not limited. If God's grace was, you know, if you if you lost your salvation because of your sin, then God's grace is limited. You've put yeah. a limit on what God's grace can do, and now I've got to go back and get resaved, which is a whole nother can of worms. How many times would Christ have to die on the cross? Yeah, you know, um, it, it's it's when you get one thing out of place, all the other pieces have to move too. Mm-hmm. I think there's t- there's two problems that problems in looking at this that cause people to come to that conclusion that you're talking about. And one, first of all, is disconnecting those first couple verses with the last part of chapter 5, which you mentioned at the beginning of the episode. Mm -hmm. You can't do that because at the end of chapter 5, it laid that foundation of what you just said. Again, God's grace is more. It abounds more. He gives more grace than, than what our sin abounds or amounts to. And when you understand that, that it helps you get the context of the beginning of, of chapter 6. And we need to remember, I think it's important to note, the last part of chapter 5, and especially when you start into chapter 6, Paul has already covered justification, how we are saved. He, is, he isn't talking here about how we are saved anymore. He's talking about our sanctification, the, the process of us being set apart and living for Christ and living out that salvation and being being sanctified or set apart or uh, made holy each day in our lives as we live for Christ. And so I think 
it's a problem there. People, they don't get the context right to go with that question in verse 1. But also, it's very clear Paul's talking to believers here, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's very clear. What shall we say then? Paul was a believer himself. He's writing to uh, the, the Christians there in Rome, and we've covered that back at the beginning. But just the very fact of the questions there, shall we continue in sin? Um, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Just the fact that he's asking those questions to Christians proves the point that not that you should continue in sin, but that you can continue in sin as a Christian. Mm-hmm. Not that you should, but just the fact that he asked the question proves that it is possible for a saved person who's been justified, because he already covered justification in the last couple chapters we looked at thoroughly. Mm-hmm. It proves the fact that a justified person, if they're not careful, they can continue in sin. And that's what he is saying, God forbid. That should not happen just because of your justification and your grace. It should not be an excuse. And I, I thought it was interesting looking up that word continue. It literally talks about to remain in a state or in a place, um, to abide or for any time indefinitely or to hold to or to unite with. So, of course, as Christians, we should not be doing those things with sin or sinful activity. That's his point. Yeah, that, that's a good point that he wouldn't even ask the question. He would have phrased it different. Instead of what shall we say then, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound, he just would have said, you cannot continue in sin. Yeah. But he's he didn't say you can't. He just he's making the point that we shouldn't. But the whole thing when it says talking about grace abounding, it just puts me in mind of uh, James four six, where it says, "But he giveth more grace." Wherefore he saith, "God resisteth the proud, but he giveth more grace to the humble." Submitting yourself to Christ and asking Him to save you is a humbling thing. And he gives grace to those who have. Mm-hmm. Because you've got to come to the knowledge that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. That takes a little bit of humility, right? Because none of us want to admit when we mess up. I mean, we all want to we all want to do everything just right, and we don't want to admit when we mess up. So if if we're admitting that we're a sinner in need of a Savior, there's some humility in that. And mm-hmm. James 4, 6 says that he gives more grace in that scenario. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it says, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? In verse 2 of Romans 6, um, you know, we are supposed to die to sin. Um, and the next verses begin to talk about baptism, and that that baptism is a, is a picture of the old man dying. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of the direction it's heading. So if we're if we're... If the old man, the sinful man, our our fleshly nature, if it's dying, how shall we continue in sin? We shouldn't. You know, in verse 3 says, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Mm Mm-hmm. We ought to be different. 
Um, yeah. I don't remember who the who the uh, preacher is that Pastor House was talking about. I really don't. Jason might. Um, but it, he talked about when he got baptized, he went into the water, a four-cylinder, came out a V8. Mm-hmm. You know, the newness of life. Yeah, it, it should be invigorating. It should. You know, a lot of times as Baptists, we we um, we want to minimize baptism some. Like it's just a picture. Mm-hmm. Well, it is a picture, but I don't like that word. Just a picture. Yeah, because there is something special about baptism. Still, it's not salvation. There's no saving power in right. in the water. And looking at the the big picture, like you know, just looking at what he's trying to accomplish, he's trying to get them to understand that living a life in Jesus Christ is a life of victory. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not here to stumble. It's not God's desire or intention to make us stumble. And we're just constantly, you know, giving in to sin. He's wanting us to understand that we can live a life of victory. And in order for us to do that, there's a common word that keeps showing up in verse six and nine. He says, knowing, mm-hmm. You know, the way that we know is we are taught or informed. He is informing them. He is teaching them. And when they understand these practical doctrines, that by understanding that, they can live a life that's pleasing to God. You know, many times people say, well, I'll never be able to live a godly life. Well, if you don't know what the Bible says, no, you won't be able to. But you're able to know how to live a godly life when you understand what the Bible says. And the flip side of that is you have a lot of Christians when they are taught or come under the teaching or mindset of, no, if I sin or willfully sin or mess up, that I might somehow lose my salvation or not have the same standing before God— that is not a life of victorious Christian living. Mm-hmm. That's a life of defeated Christian living because you know yourself. And all these people that claim they've reached this certain point of um, a so-called sanctification or a second working where they no longer commit sin anymore, they know themselves that they still commit sin. Maybe they've fr- rephrased it and they don't call certain things sin anymore to try to justify it. But it's like, it's a don't, don't, you know, don't kid yourself or anybody else. These people know that they are still committing sin. We know ourselves, and the Lord knows us. And so it's a defeated mindset, the opposite of what you're saying, Jason. It's not a victorious Christian life to look at salvation and say, oh, Christ saved me. Now he wants me to live this way. But as soon as I mess up... Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be in the same standing in the same grace. Mm-hmm. And you know deep down you're going to mess up. Yeah. That's just defeat waiting to happen. And if and we so, know it, how much more did God know it? Right, <laughs> right, right. So I think you're absolutely right. That's a great way to put this. This is a chapter lining up in your sanctification, and maybe one of y'all can hit on that about sanctification and, and that process of being set apart for God and um, maybe the... Um, positional, progressive Mm -hmm. sanctification. And some people may not understand that. When we say sanctification, people use sanctification differently in a lot of of ways. So, um, But I think this chapter, like you're saying, Brother Jason, is um, just a pathway for victorious Christian living. 
on our road of progressive sanctification, yeah. Yeah. right? Yeah. And just to reiterate for those that are listening that might or might not know, positional sanctification happens when you get saved. Your position, the word sanctification means to be set apart. So when you get saved, your position, you are set apart. You're going to heaven. You're saved. Progressive sanctification is becoming more holy in your living. The longer you live, you try to eliminate sin. You try to abstain from sin. You'll never completely do it until you're in your glorified body in heaven. But it's the process of trying, and the Holy Spirit helps in that by convicting us of sin. Um, So that's the difference in, in positional and progressive sanctification. I had a thought hit me, though, while we were... This wasn't in my study, but just in this moment on the podcast um, in verse three, it talks about know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Well, it talks about us being dead to sin and we know that Jesus was sinless. There was no sin and it talks about being baptized into his death. Do you think there's connection there? And I'm asking this legitimately because I know I've, really haven't put any thought into this this has just popped into my head which is a scary uh, Mm. proposition (laughs) but do you think there's connection there to the fact that on the cross christ took on humanity's sin i think there's definitely connection with that if you look down to verse um nine look down to verse nine and verse ten even and then there's that word again you mentioned, Jason, knowing. There's some things we can know here. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. Obviously talking about his, his death on the cross. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. If you back up to verse 8, now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. So I think you're right. I think there's a clear picture connection between um, – I don't know if that answers the question you're getting at. But I think there is a clear picture. It's because Christ took on our sin and died in our place for us, mm-hmm. we can now be freed. We're dead to sin. We are freed from sin because of what he did. And and I think that's the picture with baptism when we go under the water – you know that's the picture of the of the death and the burial and when we when we do that the picture is that when we come up we're going to try to live for Christ now we're not going to do it in perfection we know that we understand that but that's that's the entire picture of baptism um you know when when pastor house baptizes somebody every time he asks them first have you accepted Jesus Christ as your lord and savior and when they answer yes, he says, is it your desire to live for him from this day forth? Mm-hmm. Because if it's not, baptism is not the right thing for you right. at this point in time. <laughs> I, I've never heard anybody answer that question no, by the way. <laughs> but, have that figured out before. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> we also see a transition at this point taking place, too, that's almost kind of subtle to unless you're paying attention that he goes from using the word sins with an S on the end, Mm -hmm. which means, you know, referring to like individual sins to now he's talking about sin and the singular, which is not 
um, singular identified sins, but it's talking about the principle of sin. Mm-hmm. You see, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he was dying on the cross for sin. Right. He wasn't dying for sins because he hadn't committed any sin. Right. But the book of Isaiah 50, um, 53 says that he took our sin upon himself and he became sin and died on the cross for sin. And so when he died, he was dying for the principle of sin. And so that's why it's used in that singular state. And I'm just using this to maybe help clarify a little bit further with your question is that when now when we are baptized in these verses that it's talking about, it says that um, that the old man is crucified with him. This is a mark of identify, identification, that we yeah. are identified with Christ, that now we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. that the old man is crucified, the old man is buried, and now we are raised in newness of life. Yeah. My favorite illustration for baptism, trying to explain it to somebody, and I'm sure you all have heard this and you guys have probably maybe even used it um but it's the wedding ring if i'm married which i am love you honey uh, she listens she's not listening <laughs> kid yourself yeah <laughs> you're but, talking about melissa right <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> make sure we got yeah. the, the right wife listening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry <laughs> melissa <laughs> All of them are named Melissa. That way it doesn't get so confusing. We're sorry, Melissa. Oh, boy. We've, we've really derailed She takes here. a lot of abuse. Yeah. But I'm married even if I don't wear my ring. But when I wear my ring, it identifies me with my wife publicly. It's very clear that I'm married because I'm wearing a wedding ring. And it's very clear that Melissa is married because she's wearing a wedding ring. And if we didn't wear our rings, we're still married. If you didn't get baptized, you're still saved. But why wouldn't you want to publicly identify with Jesus Christ? Mm-hmm. Personally, I'll be honest, I would be a little bit offended if my wife was like, I don't want to wear my wedding ring. And, you know... I think that it would be offensive to my wife if I didn't. I didn't take my ring off for probably the first nine or ten years that we were married. I never even removed it. Then I had to because I had gained a little bit of weight, and I was afraid I wouldn't be able to remove it. So I had to get a bigger size ring. You need one of those stretchy bands. I needed one of those stretchy yeah. bands. But for the first for the first several years, I never even took mine off. Just because I I wanted to make sure I was identified with my yeah. wife. That's a great illustration, and we've heard you know we've heard our um, pastor and many others say, and it's true. They're really it's very difficult for there to be any spiritual growth in a believer until they take that first step of obedience of that ordinance of getting baptized. And so you know maybe if you're not if you've been saved and you haven't been baptized yet in your local church, you might need to, to think about that. Why do and we that say that? You. Why, do, why do we believe that you'll never live to your fullest Christian potential until you're baptized? Maybe that's new a new concept or new thought. Do you guys have a... Well, one is that 
I mean, that's the thing that we're commanded to do. That's the first step of obedience. Christ said for us to be baptized, and if mm-hmm. if we aren't obedient in the small things, mm-hmm. you know, he's never going to give us another task. He's never going to – we have to – it's kind of the principle of the talents, you know. He gives more to the better steward. Mm-hmm. Well, in the, in the Great Commission, it tells us to baptize, and then after that it's – teaching them to observe all things. Right. So, um, and we just heard this recently in a message, not that one of us preached, but our pastor preached, yeah. that kind of laying out that philosophy that after someone gets saved and gets baptized, according to those verses there in Matthew, the end of Matthew, that then it's time for discipleship, right? Yeah. After mm-hmm. they get baptized and they can take that first step of obedience, we call it, public profession, identify with Christ, they're, they're not ashamed of the gospel. They're ready to make that public profession. Then the verse says in Matthew 28, teaching them to observe all things. That yeah. discipleship comes after that. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's where my mind went to. And, you know, I often teach is that, you know, you cannot, you cannot live a godly life when you're in direct disobedience. Right. Now, we know that there might be a reason rightfully that you have to postpone your baptism you know mm-hmm. until you get something right in your life and then go we understand that yeah but for somebody to just be like ah, i don't there's know. a problem right there if, yeah. yeah if you don't and, submit to that and, and jesus, it's your membership i'm sorry I that's all right i was just going to say and jesus he didn't perform any miracles until after his baptism mm. yeah. yeah the working of the holy spirit yeah and I, I may be taking something out of context here a little bit, but I, I, I think it's applicable. I'm not saying this is the primary application, yeah. but if you look at when you get saved, your spirit is quickened, right? Mm-hmm. You had a dead spirit. Now your spirit's alive. Mm-hmm. When you get baptized, what does that do for you other than identify you with Christ? It places you into the body. Mm-hmm. You're a member. Right of that local body of the church, that local church. If you look at, <clears throat> if you go into, um, when, when Legion was cast out of the man and he, he was, let us go into the swine. They didn't want to be a disembodied spirit. Mm-hmm. If our spirit is quickened and we're not in the body, you know, and I know that's a not the primary application. I'm not trying to say that's what that means. Don't right. take me wrong there, right. but I think it's only healthy that we're in the local body. Yeah, mm-hmm. that because now we have a quickened spirit because we've been born again. Right, and I think that we need to be in the body. We need to be in a local body. That's not some universal church body. That's a local body. There's no no pastor of some mythical universal church. Right. Mm-hmm. It's a local body. And just for clarity, there's a difference between when you're saved that you're become the body of Christ. You know, that's mm-hmm. universal, every tribe, tongue, language, mm-hmm. you know, all that. But when you get baptized, you become a member of the local church, which is what Rob's saying. Right. So there's a difference there. Yeah. I just want to clarify. There's a difference in being a member of the body and being in the family of God. Yeah. Yeah, that family of God. That, right. Yeah. Right. Right, so when we get saved, what you're saying is we we be we're a part of the family of God. Everyone right. is a part of the family right. of God. And when you get baptized, you become a member of the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
So, yeah, so maybe, um, you know, we didn't intend to discuss um, water baptism and, you know, really, and all the purposes and things of that, but that's good. Maybe it's for someone out there that needs to think about that. Maybe you've been saved and you have not taken that step, mm-hmm. and it's it's imperative to your spiritual growth, and you might need to uh, talk to your pastor of your local church and take that public stand. Certainly, if you have any questions about that, we... Um, We'd be happy to to help you, but we'd encourage you to talk to your your uh, local pastor. I think those first few verses there, he's lining out some stuff that um, that answers those questions that we've looked deep into. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Verse seven tells us, "For he that is dead is freed from sin." It's um it's very clear that we have been um, freed from sin. We don't have to sin as Christians anymore. Before you were a slave to sin, right? Mm-hmm. You didn't have a choice. You have no standing before God. But but grace abounded, and now you don't have to sin, and you shouldn't. And so he lines all that out. I think, to me, um, verses 11 and 12 are probably the—could uh, almost sum up this chapter. Um, verse 11 and 12, it says— Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lusts thereof. So I, to me, I think that's like his charge. And then it, verse 13 as well, that's kind of his charge for this whole chapter is... The things he's lining out is pointing to tell you, listen, as a believer, you need to have some control, and you can have control and be victorious over sin through the through the Holy Spirit and through Christ and his salvation, and you don't have to let sin rule and reign over you anymore. Yeah. You don't it's, have to. It's self-discipline, really. If you think about it, you know, um, Jason's a parent, I'm a parent, and Dominic's a youth director, so he gets it too. Yeah, he's got <laughs> about 50 kids. Yeah. So um, if you, let's just say you have a rule, and your rule is that you um, your kids are not allowed to uh, throw a ball in the house, okay? Just We'll, we'll just go with a classic don't play ball in the house, right? So your kids are throwing a ball around the house, and they break something. They break the TV. Now, that'd be a real offense in our house. My wife is a TV fanatic, and she would be very upset. But let's just say the kids are throwing a ball. They break the TV. And you go to the kids, and you say, kids, why did you do that? And they say, I couldn't control it. Now you're in my house. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Jason's like, are you spying on us? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but if your kids, if that's their excuse, I couldn't control it. I had to throw the ball. No, you could. You made a conscious decision to throw the ball, even though you knew that you're not supposed to throw the ball in the house. Son. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Isaiah. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's the same thing. That's what God's saying in his word right here about us with sin. We know we're not supposed to sin, and we make a conscious decision to yeah, do it. To allow it to rule over us. And we've said it before that people don't uh, – people, um, uh, people aren't sinners because they sin. We, we sin because we're sinners. 
And so we, we're slave to sin before, but like we're saying here, and your point there, you don't have to sin anymore. You don't have mm-hmm. to allow that sin to uh, rule over you. And verse 13 continues that. It says this is his charge. And obviously, just like with the first questions of the chapter, if he's telling you let not, or verse 13, neither yield, verse 11, likewise reckon ye, mm-hmm. those are all choices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It ties right back into the questions at the beginning. The very fact that he's asking these questions or making these claims in verses 11 through 13 tells you it's possible for you to not reckon yourself dead mm-hmm. to sin, even though you are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's possible for you to let sin reign in your mortal body, even though you're freed from that sin and control. Verse 13, it's possible for you to yield your members to yield your body to unrighteousness and sin. But as a Christian, we have no business doing that, and we can be victorious over that. Verse 13 says, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. It's pretty simple. You're a saved child of God. Live like it. Mm-hmm. Live yeah. like that. I was going to say that, but you took the words right out of my mouth, so I'm just going to go ahead and say it too because I want some credit. Okay. <laughs> uh, sure, we'll buy that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I'm just um, – you. you know, there's a difference. You know, it's it really is a struggle for people to understand the concept of uh, willfully sinning versus – you know, that you're just a sinner. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a difference between trying to live a godly life and you just make a bad mistake or say something or do something that there's a difference between that versus what the apostle Paul's getting at yielding yourself, yielding Mm -hmm. your members um, as instruments of unrighteousness. There's a difference between just making a mistake or goofing up versus where you're was Proverbs say like a dog that returneth to its vomit? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a, there's a difference between that principle, well, and it kind of comes down to this too. You you're gonna have unrighteous thoughts sometimes. I'm just being honest. Everyone does, mm-hmm. but there's a difference in when that thought becomes action. If you act upon that thought, what you've done is you've put miracle grow on that sin. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the thought itself was a sin. I'll be honest, it was. And we have those thoughts sometimes. And that's where we're not in that glorified body. And we are still fighting that old nature and that sinful nature. But when you act upon those unrighteous thoughts, you've crossed a line where you've gone into willful sin, Mm -hmm. willingly sinning. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's a little different line. Yeah, You've, you're you're yielding yourself to that. You're mm-hmm. stopping and just letting it have the right of way, mm-hmm. right? But we know yes. in the middle of verse 13, yield yourselves unto God, and we understand um, that is the basis for the Holy Spirit continually filling us. Mm-hmm. You know, we understand we are, we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit never, it doesn't come and go. It's, it's, it's not like a house guest. It is um, indwelling you. It, yeah. it is sealing you until the day of redemption. So we know we always have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. 
But as we yield ourselves to God, that's the basis of the Holy Spirit having more and more control, us allowing it to control, to us, us allowing the Holy Spirit to control us uh, more and more and more by yielding to, to uh, God um, and to uh, righteousness of God. Verse 14 says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. What then shall we sin? Because we are not under the law, but under grace. God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield your servants, yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's interesting in in um, verse 15, what then shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? God forbid. Um, of course, we see the connection with verses 1 and 2 in the chapter there. But what's interesting about that is there is a teaching out there right now that this um, hyper-grace movement that um, – we understand that we're not under the law. We understand that. But there's this teaching out there that the law is, that it was basically made of none effect. And clearly we see here that if we're able to sin, which that verse, what then shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Clearly we're able to sin Mm -hmm. just because we have grace. We shouldn't sin, but things are still sinful is what I'm getting at. There is a teaching out there that everything is quote unquote legal for a Christian now because of grace. Hmm. All things are okay because we have liberty. Well, we do have liberty. I mean, but liberty sometimes is taken out of context. Right. Think there is still things that are sinful. There are things that have been made clean. You know, we can eat shellfish. Praise the Lord. I love shrimp. We can eat pork. Praise the Lord. I love bacon. We have uh, bacon and sausage almost every Saturday for prayer breakfast around here. Amen. <laughs> yeah, but there is still such thing as sin. Yeah, and, and that's what—that's the point I'm trying to make. I didn't uh, express it very eloquently, but well, and to people who think that they—they they, back in Romans three thirty one it says, "Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid. Right. Yea, we establish the law. So we understand that you don't throw the throw the law out." Right? Right. Um, The last verses, let's go ahead and finish the chapter. The last verses there, 19 through 23, um, says, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as as ye have yielded your members' servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members' servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when ye were the servants of sin... You were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. Mm. But now, being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What a great passage there. Those last three verses, man. Yeah. Those last three verses, they're just something else, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
if one of us had a handkerchief, we'd be waving it right <laughs> I now. I guarantee yeah. it. I guarantee it. But or if you get me a cup, I'll spit into it or something. <laughs> you stay away from my coffee cup <laughs> this morning, actually. <laughs> but I love that in verse 21, what fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? What good was your sin? I heard a guy, a preacher one time, local preacher that I know, he was talking about about drinking, and he said, you know, there's there's uh, Christians that want to say it's not a sin to drink, and then there's Christians that say it is a sin to drink, and he said, I'm just going to put it to you this way. He said, I've never once in my entire life heard somebody say, man, this beer really blessed me today. <laughs> he yeah. said, it just does. What fruit it comes from that? Yeah. There is none. Right. And that's that's the point this is making. What fruit had ye in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? What fruit was there from your sin? The only fruit that comes from sin is a rotten fruit. There's no good fruit from sin. For the end of those things is death. And that ties right in with verse 23. For the wages of sin, the wages, your earnings for sin, is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's one of those verses, if if y'all are memorizing Scripture, you need to have Romans 6.23 memorized. I don't think that I've ever witnessed to somebody without quoting that verse. That's a, a vital verse um, to understand that our sin has consequence, but our belief in God has an even greater consequence. Yes, yeah. And maybe I know the um, the next chapter we're going to get into, we didn't really hit as much on that. Um, the old man in, in verse 6 of chapter 6 here. And obviously these verses here referring to that, it's 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 our old life, like you mentioned, Rob, the, the things of our old corrupt human nature, those things we used to walk in. Now we're a new creature with new life, and we shouldn't be serving that, that old human nature. And, and I think we'll get into that um, in chapter 7 and maybe discuss that and go back to that. Um, the old man versus the new man and what that means. And um, and and we'll hit on that in chapter 7 because really next episode into chapter 7, this thought continues right through and the thought of this progressive sanctification and how God is continually um, uh, working in us and we're yielding ourselves to become more holy after we get saved and um, and, and progress and be more set apart for him because of his grace. And so that thought continues into chapter 7 next time. Um, But we come to the end of chapter 6 here, and as Rob mentioned, that verse uh, 23 is is such a powerful verse. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so if you're listening and you uh, do not remember a time that you have accepted Jesus Christ into your heart, um, as your personal Savior and, and placed your faith and trust in Him and His death on the cross and His resurrection and said, I believe in Him. I believe Christ is the Son of God, that He died on the cross to pay for my sins and was buried and rose again. Come into my heart, forgive my sin, save my soul, and you ex- you've accepted Christ your Savior. If, if you've done that, then you have the gift of God um, applied to your life. You have eternal life in heaven, and it's all through Jesus Christ. But if you have not done that, if you can't remember a time where you've uh, realized you're a sinner and you need to be saved, and you've never asked Christ to be your Savior, 
um, you could do that today. You could pass from death to life. You could um, uh, take that stand and begin uh, walking in this victorious Christian life. And the best part about it, we put so much emphasis on heaven and eternal life, and rightfully so. But this chapter tells us here there's a lot more in store for you here in this life, even before we get to heaven. Yes, you have heaven as your home if you're saved, and and we rightfully use that to compel people to get saved. But you can have a lot more abundant life. You can have victory over sin. You won't have to be a slave to sin anymore. Um, it could repair your family, relationships, things going on personally that you're dealing with and just a slave to in your life. And um, there's much more here for you even before we get to heaven and have eternal life. So you can have victory um, over the sin that has, has you as a slave right now if, if you accept Christ as your Savior and you'll have eternal life in heaven. So if you'd like to do that, it's as simple as believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth, calling upon the name of the Lord. And you could pray wherever you're at and say, Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you're the Son of God and that you came to this earth and died on the cross uh, to pay for my sin. And I ask the Lord, say, come into my heart, forgive my sin, and save my soul. I believe in you and accept you as, as my Savior. And, um, and you could pray anywhere you're at and in faith, put your trust in him that he will, will save you, and he promised he would. So if, you, if you've done that, if you've um, listened and, and prayed and asked Christ to be your Savior, um, we'd love to know. We would love to rejoice with you, and we could um, answer any questions you may have or uh, send you some things that might help you. And um, so we'd love for you to reach out to us and um, you can do so on our Facebook page. You can message us on Facebook at Staff Study Podcast, um, or you can uh, send us an email, uh, Staff Study Podcast at gmail.com, um, or you could call our church office, ask for Rob, Jason, or Dominic at 937 444 2493. And we would uh, love to hear from you if you've. Uh, trusted Christ as your Savior, or if you have any other questions or comments or thoughts about um, some things that we've covered today. Yeah. So make sure to reach out to us and don't forget to like, share, subscribe, comment, review, help us to reach others. And it will help us trend higher on the searches so that other people can find the podcast and hopefully it can be a blessing to them. We hope that we've been a blessing to you. And until next time, we'll see you then. Thank you for listening to the Staff Study Podcast. It is our prayer that this has been an encouragement for you in your walk with the Lord. Please visit our website at www.bbcmountorb.org for more information on our church and associated ministries. It is our desire to encourage you to study God's Word. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study the show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth.